0: Welcome to Hope Community Church's Sermon of the Week. It's our prayer that this message will encourage and equip you to love like Jesus. To learn more about Hope, visit us at hccalive.com. Now enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Hope Community Church. My name is Ben Challey, and I'm the Director of Family Ministries here at Hope. And this morning, I have the privilege of preaching on Palm Sunday. And this morning as we look at the story of Palm Sunday, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 21. So for those of us who may not know what Palm Sunday is, Palm Sunday marks the beginning of the week before Easter. So it, it, this is the story of Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And as I was thinking about how to approach this passage this morning, I was, I was struck by the amount of ways that you can take this message. You see some commentaries, they focus on the humility of Christ as he rides in on a donkey and others focus on the judgments of Christ. But the thing that really struck me about this passage was the response of the people as Jesus entered in on the donkey. Because these people who were singing Jesus' praises on Sunday would become the very people who would, say, crucify him on Friday. It's amazing how within just five days, Jesus could go from hero to zero. And you think, how could that be? I mean, these people are foolish. I mean, this is Jesus that, that walked in on the donkey. How could they go from praising him to saying crucify him? And as I studied this passage, as I was preparing for this message, I started to notice a pattern. I started to notice something that kind of explains how this transition could occur. And it's something that I had actually seen in my own life as an athlete. So for those of you who may not know, I was a baseball player at UWM. And and as an athlete, we are always looking for things that will make us better. As an athlete, you're always looking for something that will make your life better. This could be a workout, it could be a food, it could be a change in your game plan. Whatever that is, we are always looking for things to make us better. Now, you may be sitting here this morning thinking, well, cool, I'm, I'm not an athlete, I, that doesn't really apply to me. But I think this principle actually transcends just athletics and it applies to each and every one of us. We are always looking for things to be better. To illustrate this, you can all, all you have to do is look at the top Christian titles that are on Amazon or the New York Times best-selling books. And a description of one of the top-selling books reads as follows, and I think it illustrates our desire for things to be better. It reads like this. We all try to think our way out of bad habits and unhealthy thought patterns, only to find ourselves, um, ourselves struck with an out-of-control mind and off-track daily life. This book author understands deeply this battle against self-doubt and negative thinking. And in this powerful new book, he reveals the strategies he's discovered to change your mind and change your life for the long term. Drawing on scripture and the latest findings in brain science, the author lays out practical strategies that will free you from the grip of harmful, destructive thinking and enable you to live the life of joy and peace that God intends you to live. God has something better for your life than your old ways of thinking. It's time to change your mind so that God can change your life. We are always looking for better Self actualization or, or what we view on the inside has become our standard in today's society of morality. In our desire for fulfillment, our, our sin, our sinful nature, does, makes us turn inwardly. The commands of the Bible, thou shalt, we've heard that language before, those have been replaced with I choose or I want. Our standard of morality has become how I feel, not necessarily what is objectively true. We've heard the saying, my truth, and it often reigns supreme in our self-focused society today. Today we believe that we can simply pick from what we think is best. We've heard this type of language before, just find the right formula, eat the right foods, listen to the right science, throw a little Jesus in there, mix it up, and you'll think better, look better, and feel better and we promise that your life will be better. How can our world make such promises? Well it's because when the world revolves around me, when the world revolves around us, we can play God. We can sit on the throne and establish what our truth is. And unfortunately this isn't a new reality. This is something that has repeated itself throughout history. See, even when Jesus walked the earth, people wanted to follow him because of what he was doing. He was healing. He was feeding people. He was meeting their needs. And people loved to follow Jesus as he performed miracle after miracle. They loved to follow Jesus as he time and time again proved his power. But as we see this morning, when Jesus establishes his position as the rightful king... He does so almost completely alone. He was rejected by the very people who had sang his praises just five days earlier. How could that be? Well, it's because Jesus brought the kingdom that these people needed, that the nation of Israel needed, but it wasn't the kingdom that they wanted. When their truth regarding Jesus was challenged, they left him. The people of Israel desired what so many of us desire in our own lives. They desired an external validation of their inward reality. They believed that their truth was what was best for them, but they failed to see that their truth blinded them from the actual truth. They desired the king, Jesus, but they rejected his kingdom. They wanted their own God on their own Terms, And as we look at the people's view of Jesus this morning, on this Palm Sunday, we'll see him presented as the promised king, the rightful king, and the rejected king. And we'll see through those perspectives how these men and women were physically close to Jesus, but they were spiritually far from him. We'll see how their selfishness, their self-desire, blinded them from seeing the selfless act of Jesus on the cross, We'll see how my truth led the nation of Israel to disaster. Would you please join me in a time of prayer before we enter the word of God this morning? Father, we, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to come to your word. Lord, we, we submit wholly to what your word has for us this morning. We commit ourselves to growing and to knowing who you are. Father, please... Um, Prepare our hearts for what you have in store for us as we open your word this morning. We ask, Spirit, that you will guide our time, that you will convict us of our sin, that you will help us to grow in our understanding of you, that we may love like you all the more. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So this morning, as we look at the story of Palm Sunday, we're going to focus on Matthew chapter 21. And our first section is Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, which focuses on Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. So would you please read with me Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and they came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the the beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They bought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. So to understand this triumphal entry, to understand Jesus' entry into the city of Jerusalem, we first have to understand the context. We have to understand the literary context of this passage. So why was this written? So Matthew was written to a Jewish audience. Matthew, The Gospel of Matthew was written to people who would have an understanding of the Old Testament. And so Matthew is writing this to his readers, hoping that they would see Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. He highlights Jesus' position as the promised king of the Old Testament by showing that Christ fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, which reads as follows. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey." Sounds familiar, right? Notice here the exactness of this prophecy. Jesus would ride in humble on a donkey and his people greeted him. The daughter of Zion is the people of Jerusalem. So these people, they see Jesus as their promised Messiah. He's riding in on the donkey and notice what their response is. The multitude shout to him, "'Hosanna to the Son of David! "'Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord!' Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna translates to save now. So as if, it's as if they're saying, save us now, great Messiah. Save us now. So what went wrong? Well, thankfully, we have historical context to guide us here as well. Because our historical context shows us that during this time, Israel is a displaced people. During the time of Christ, Israel is ruled by the Romans. The people of Israel knew that Jesus was the one who would save them. They were looking for the Messiah, but they missed the point of his entry. You see, rather than looking to Jesus as the one who would save them from their sins, they desired a king who would rule over them. A king who would conquer the Romans and would rule with an iron fist. They desired the deliverer, But they failed to see his purpose. Their expectations had become their idols, and notice what the result is. Luke 19, verses 41 through 42, records the result of this as it says And when he, Jesus, drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, What that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden. From your eyes. Jesus reveals that the nation of Israel was looking for peace in all of the wrong places. They were looking for the promised king of their worldly kingdom, not the king who was promised in Scripture. And this divide between their expectations and who Jesus actually was would grow all the more as Jesus establishes himself as their rightful king. As we move throughout the week, Jesus has establishes his role as the rightful king, and it comes in a way that looks vastly different than what Israel had expected. To establish his place as the rightful king, Jesus drives out the money changers, or the salespeople, from the temple in Matthew 21, 12-17. He curses a fig tree for not producing fruit in Matthew 21, 18-22. He then confronts the religious leaders of Israel and establishes his authority from God in Matthew 21, 23 through 46. In other words, to show his rightful place as king, Jesus rebukes the people of Israel for their self-promoting worship. Jesus rebukes the people of Israel for their lack of spiritual fruit. He rebukes the people of Israel for their faithless leaders. By establishing himself as the rightful king, Jesus places himself in direct opposition with the very people who had been singing his praises just two days earlier. Not only did Christ not deliver them from their enemies, but he rebukes them for their failure to glorify God, the very God who had come to save them from their sins. Israel had committed a god or had created a god rather of their own image. Their false messiah was a reflection of what they desired for themselves. Their false messiah was a reflection of what they thought would be better. It wasn't who God had promised. So based on those grounds Jesus comes in as the promised king. He establishes himself as the rightful king. This divide grows and Jesus becomes the rejected king. The divide grows so large that by Friday, the very people who were singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, were yelling, crucify him. It's what we will remember on Good Friday at our service this week. And as we look at what Jesus endured as the rejected king, perhaps the most beautiful picture of Jesus' life comes from Isaiah chapter 53. So would you please join me in reading Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 through 10. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned every one to his own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all he was oppressed and afflicted Yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for the guilt, he shall see his offspring, shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Jesus was the exact opposite of what Israel had expected in their king. During his life, Jesus was rejected by men. He was judged. He was cut off. He was grieved. He was struck with hardship. He was pierced for transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. He was oppressed by his people. Jesus was rejected because he did what was right in the face of a sinful world. He sought to do the will of the Father, even though it led him to the cross. Now this morning, I want us to pause for a moment. As we enter into this season of Easter, this is a time for reflection. This is a time where we can evaluate, where we can call ourselves back to this truth of Scripture, where we can remind ourselves of who God is. At Hope Church, we champion this mission to love like Jesus. And as I said before, Isaiah 53 gives us quite possibly the greatest picture of what Jesus endured as he was on earth. So in light of that, how do we stand? How do we stand in the example that Jesus has set for us? Are we humbly giving of ourselves, even to the point of death, Or are we still waiting for the Messiah to come and fix our problems? Are we willing to give up our comfort and challenge ourselves to grow in the Lord, to spread the good news of who he is, or do we praise Jesus on Sunday and forget him on Monday? Do we look to God as the center of our lives, or is he an add-on on our tool belt? Is the reason we are Christians so that we can be viewed as better people, or is it to glorify God? This time of Easter is about so much more than just moral modification. It's about so much more than just trying to remind ourselves to do the right thing. It's about so much more than just checking a box and saying, well, I worshipped on Easter. Easter is the time for heart change. Easter gives us a challenge. It's the time when we can look to the cross of Jesus and say, that is my Lord and Savior. I choose to live as he did. I will follow his lead. I will die to self and I will live in him. That is our challenge in Easter. As we reflect on what it looks like to love like Jesus, we cannot love like Jesus and have a self-centered life. We cannot love like Jesus and be more concerned with our well-being than the well-being of our neighbors. We cannot love like Jesus unless we are willing to die to self, to count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus, to carry our own cross and follow him as he has lived. This morning, we began by asking the question, what changed in the minds of the people of Israel? By now we see the answer was nothing. They had rejected the Messiah because they never saw who he was in the first place. The people of Israel show us how when the foundation of our faith is not the biblical Jesus, we create a faith that is based off the God we see in the mirror, rather than the king who humbly rode in on the donkey. When our wants become our idols, we miss the whole point of following Christ. When our desires become our idols, we take the place of God. We put ourselves on the throne, and when we sit on our own throne, we fail to see our brokenness. We fail to see our sin, and we fail to see our need for the true Messiah. The people of Israel had created a God in their own image, and it was a God who would do what they thought was better. And in doing so, they missed the power of God that is shown through his grace and mercy. They missed the power of God that can save man from their sins. They missed the very best thing that we today can see from this story. They missed the truth of the gospel. This gospel message that says that Jesus would not come to be an oppressive king. That he would be a king who is humble and lowly. That Jesus would come and live a perfect life on earth. This gospel message that shares that Jesus would willfully go to the cross and bear the wrath of God. The thing that we deserve for our sin on our behalf. They missed that Jesus would rise again. And that he would give hope to every man, woman, and child who puts their faith in his sacrifice. They missed the genuine gospel. They missed genuine peace because they worried more about their better than what was best. They missed the gospel of Jesus. And as we close this morning, my challenge is for us to rem- is for us to remove any self centered view that we may have of Christ. My challenge for us is in this season of Easter. Don't miss who Jesus is. Don't miss what he did. We have an amazing opportunity at our Good Friday service and on our Easter service this upcoming Sunday to remember what Jesus did on the cross. And as we prepare our hearts, I want us to ask ourselves, what is our motivation? Is the reason I'm a Christian so I can feel better? Is the reason I'm a Christian so I don't stand out in my household? Are we more focused on what we can get from our faith than what we can give to others? What is our motivation this morning? Reflect on this. Likewise, I want to challenge us to read, to remember, and to reflect. I want us to see the warning of creating God in our own image. In this week leading up to Easter, I challenge us to turn to the word of God to see who he has revealed himself to be. Let's openly face our sinfulness and turn to the true Messiah. Let's openly face our sin and turn to the rightful King, Jesus, who rode in humbly to be rejected by his people and die on the cross so that when we believe in him, we too can have life. Would you please join me in a time of prayer? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are and what you have accomplished as you died on the cross for our sins, Lord. I pray that as we enter into this time of worship that we will reflect, Lord, that we will turn inwardly and see who you are and what you have done for us, Father. I thank you again for your word. I thank you for just each and every person here, Lord. I pray that you will just bless them, keep them, and encourage them this week in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our sermon of the week. To learn more about Hope Community Church, go to hccalive.com and click on the hub. Don't forget to subscribe and may we continue to love like Jesus.